0: Världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson Hoj, här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson Ingen faktiskt Ingen annan carlson Vill jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson Karlsson scores! Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. Yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski. Happy holidays, everybody. And with me is Brian calm
1: Hey Elon, it's good to be back after a super long layoff.
0: Yeah, we meant to record an episode on Sunday. Brian was out of town with some crappy internet, and also, you know, there wasn't that much hockey to talk about because there had been three days off last week, so now we have an extra couple of days of hockey under our belts and a lot to talk about, and before we get into it, let's just mention that Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast is brought to you by dailyfaceoff.com, which is your source for starting goalies, line combinations, fantasy news. If you play fantasy hockey... You need to go to dailyfaceoff.com probably multiple times a day. I do.
1: And if you follow them on Twitter, you'll also notice they wear different hats in their avatar, which is really quite charming.
0: <laughs> so, okay, Brian, let's get on with the show. Fantasy hockey headline number one, and we've got a bunch of them, but let's start in Arizona with Devin Dubnik, who has appeared to take in over the number one goalie spot over Mike Smith. It was something that seemed to be in the works for a couple months now, but it's pretty much official. He's started six of Arizona's last eight games, appeared in seven of those games. With his win yesterday, he now has three wins in a row. Overall on the season, his record is nine wins in 17 games with a save percentage of 925. This is unreal. Arizona's not even such a good team. So, Brian, what do you think? Is Devin Dubnik a guy who people need to be grabbing? Because he's actually still a free agent in my league. And I'm going to ask you in a second... If I should maybe make a drop for him. But I just want to get your take on Devin Dubnik. How viable is he as a goalie? Longtime
1: listeners of the show will remember the faith I placed in Dubnik last season and how terribly he let me down. And I think we realized at the time that a lot of that was probably the Oilers' fault. And it seems even clearer in retrospect. But even when he moved around, I think he played a game for Montreal. And in his first few games with Arizona, he was not doing so well. But he's starting maybe To come around and come back into my good graces, I think the first thing to notice is that, well, he's almost a starter or like a 1A. So if you're in a league where a guy like, say, Michael Hutchinson is gone, then probably Dubnik should also be gone too as a number one or potential number one by the end of the season. So if you're looking for starts, forget, you know, if he's really worthwhile. Some people are desperate, they need the saves, they need the starts go and get Dubnik right now. He'll serve that purpose at least for the short term. As for what he can do for your team, well, you know, we knew he was a good goalie. We did, and again, I beat this drum a lot last year when he was with the Oilers and things were going totally sideways for him. I said, ah, but his career numbers are are okay. He seems to be somebody who can hold his own between the pipes in the NHL, like average at worst, He had like 9.16, 9.15, 9.21 save percentages before collapsing to an 8.94 with Edmonton in 2013-2014. I still think that's the aberration, and sure, he's way up at 925 now, which would be a career high, but I'm into him. I'm into at least giving him a shot, although one concern for me would be that I think the Coyotes are going to be sellers at the trade deadline. There's already rumors, say, about Antoine Vermette going away, and that he's a really defensively responsible forward. He's a key part of that team scoring also. And as their roster thins out, whoever is their goalie might face some harder minutes. But in the meantime, he's not so bad. Actually, Elon, have we spoken about quality starts on the show yet?
0: No, I think we talked about it on our patron cast, but I don't think we've talked about it on the proper show.
1: Okay, so now is a really good time to do that, because Dubnik is a good example of somebody who you can look at and say, well, when he gets in the net, he does all right, especially lately. So first, let me just remind you or tell you for the first time what a quality start is. A quality start is a stat that was developed by Rob Volman over at Hockey Abstract. You might be familiar with his name if you're, you know, researching or reading a lot about stats. He's come up with a lot of stats. He's a really good guy to know about and follow and read his books. Maybe we'll have him on the show someday. But anyway, he developed this stat called quality starts, and what it does is it defines a quality start for a goalie as any time that this goalie starts and posts a save percentage above the league average save percentage for the year, or posts at least an 885 save percentage when they face 20 or fewer shots against. So that's essentially saying if they give up two goals or fewer and face less than 20 shots, then they still get a quality start because their save percentage will likely be above 885. Do you follow me so far?
0: Yeah, and actually, I have to say, I really like this stat because I feel like save percentage is a bit abstract. Like, if I'm deciding whether to start a goalie or not, at the end of the day, I'm not like, oh, wow, he had a 930 and not a 940 or whatever, save percentage. Really, at the end of the day, you start your goalies and then you look at the end of the night and say, oh, I should have started this guy, I should have started this guy. Was this guy good or was he sucky? And I feel like with quality starts, it just tells you how often when you start him, does he do well? It's like a lot more course than save percentage a lot easier to grasp so if you're saying Devin Dubnik has a high percentage of quality starts to me I think that's really good to know because that means that most of the time when you play him he does well and if he's going to have one game where he lets in a lot of goals and he has a bad start you know that might really skew his save percentage but it's only one bad start at the end of the day
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. The fantasy relevance of this status, it's a simple way to kind of say, okay, how likely is it that this guy is going to blow up my goaltending stats with a terrible start? And you'll notice the guys at the bottom of the list for this season are the guys that have been frustrating fantasy owners terribly all year. You've got Chad Johnson, Red O'Bara, Nicholas Backstrom, Ben Scrivens, Jake Allen, Victor Fast... Those guys all line the bottom of the standings. And, of course, the goalies with the most starts so far this year who are down there, Carrie Lettinen is there, and so is Mike Smith and Jonas Enra. So just, you know, at a quick look, I think we can all agree that this seems to be a very practical and reasonable way to decide if a goalie is essentially worth starting or if they're going to help you or hurt you on an average basis. So let's take this all back to Dubnik now, because in his last six starts, four of them have been quality. And that's actually good. For context, I'm going to tell you that Pekka has the highest quality save percentage among goalies who have started, say... 15 to 20 of their team's game he's up at an 821 quality start percentage let's simplify it let's call it 82.1 percent Devin Dubnik finds himself with a 61.5 quality start percentage that puts him in the same neighborhood as Ben Bishop Marc-Andre Fleury and Carey Price
0: well there you go we've learned a new stat and also I feel like you've uh, given more reason to believe that Devin Dubnik is a good guy to pick up so let me ask you two questions okay number one Let's say for those Mike Smith owners out there, if Dubnik is available at this time, do you think it's time to pull the trigger and drop Smith and pick up Dubnik?
1: I would. I don't think Smith is helping you anyway, you know, even in leagues where you're hoping on him to reach your minimum goalie starts.
0: Well, of course right now he's not, but I guess the question is, let's looking towards the fantasy hockey playoffs, how confident are you that Dubnik is still the starter then, like he is now? Or does Smith take it over at some point?
1: I'm not very confident that Mike Smith is going to be the starter. I'm going to suggest that maybe they're going to split time. One of the big reasons is that Dubnik is a free agent next year. He's on a really cheap contract this year. And he'd be a good guy for the Coyotes to keep. Because Mike Smith, I mean, yes, he's signed for like the next three or four seasons. But he's 32 years old right now. And he's, of course only getting older. He'll be 33 next year. And goalies, well, they don't tend to do so well into their, like, mid to late 30s, as we've seen with a couple examples. And Martin Broder, well, he's way past that. But Evgeny Nabokov has really fallen off and whatever. There's a ton of examples out there. I think Devin Dubnik would be the clever choice for the Coyotes to keep around. And in that case, they should probably try and give him games towards the end of the season. However, I guess they probably will also feel pressure about using Mike Smith for the duration of his contract. So that's a tough thing to think about. And you know, we don't do a ton of speculation that's based on contracts. We just look at the numbers. And looking at the numbers, Devin Dubnik is probably the reasonable choice, assuming that we can attribute everything bad that happened to Edmonton. And that seems to be fairly accurate these days. Everything
0: bad that happens is Edmonton's fault. (laughs) Okay, and then one more question. What do you think about Darcy Kemper at this point? Because anyone who still has Kemper is probably really happy that he finally got a win yesterday, the first in a long time. But another type of guy who people have been probably thinking about potentially dropping lately, ooh, maybe throw Jake Allen in there also. How would you rank those three goalies of people you'd want to have? Allen, Kemper, Dubnik, go.
1: Just to start on Jake Allen, that's been such a disappointment. We have him on our team, Elon. We were, well, not excited, but we were opportunistic when Brian Elliott was injured, and he's going to be back soon, actually. But Jake Allen in his last 10 starts, only two of them could be qualified as quality starts. And on, like, a really defensively sound Blues team, I'm starting to wonder. I mean, he's only played 34 games in his career, but his save percentage is a 901. He had decent numbers, well, maybe a little bit better than decent numbers in the AHL. He's been a long-standing goaltending prospect. In fact, the Blues chose him over Ben Bishop a couple years ago when they had to pick one to ship away. But I'm starting to wonder if I want him on my team this season. If it's not a keeper, I'm not that excited because now I think Brian Elliott comes back. He'll be the number 1A. Maybe get a few more. Maybe the decrease in responsibility will help Jake Allen. He certainly was stronger over his first 10 appearances this year, although he was also in the 800s in save percentage for a handful of those too. So going back to your question now that I've... Told you why I'm mad at Jake Allen. I'm going to go for the rest of the year. Oh, this is hard. I don't want either of them. In terms of someone I'm relying on to be my number one or even number two goalie on my fantasy team, if I had to pick one of them to be my number three, I would probably go with Dubnik. Which I still don't feel quite good about saying, but Kemper has done nothing to give me any faith in him lately, except for that win against Winnipeg last night, finally. And I just told you why I'm not crazy about Jake Allen anymore. So I guess Dubnik is by default, but it's just a matter of like who's gonna collapse first. And I'm still sort of waiting to see what Dubnik can do over his next 20 or 30 starts, if he can stabilize at a nice safe percentage or not.
0: All right, let's move on to our second fantasy hockey headline of the week. Let's- Let's talk about a couple of major injuries and both the people I have on my fantasy team. So let's start with Patrick Hornqvist, who's injured again and is looking like he's gonna be out for at least the next couple weeks, maybe longer. And I feel like we talk about the Penguins every week. Who's gonna play with Crosby and Malkin? But, you know, here there's actually someone new, kind of, to talk about. I guess we actually did mention him last week, but Derek Pouliot now has gone up to the top power play to take Hornquist's spot. Usually you would have thought it would have been a forward, but no, it's the defenseman Pouliot. So I'm curious to know, Brian, if Pouliot is a guy that people should be grabbing at this point, you know, top power play with Crosby and Malkin. But then also there's the question of, are the Penguins even going to score lots of goals? Because, you know, they've only scored one goal in their past two games.
1: Let's not overreact. The Penguins, and we always say this, they still have have Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby and Chris Kunitz and Chris Letang. And they're going to be okay. Those guys are not going to stop scoring goals. Yes, it's a rough patch. And the general sense I've gotten from reading articles around the league about Pittsburgh is that, well, you know... A lot of guys are injured. Rough patches are going to happen. This is one of them. I know, Elon, we've especially noticed this because we've benched two goalies who played Pittsburgh and won because we were afraid of what would happen if we started them. So maybe we're feeling this a little stronger than everyone else and perhaps overreacting a little bit. I don't think there's much to overreact to here. It's an 82-game season. This is a bad stretch for them. And, of course, having Brian Rust... And Jason Megna filling out your top six forwards isn't going to help a whole lot. The good news, though, and maybe important news for Poolies, is that Bo Bennett looks like he's getting ready to return from his case of the mumps. He's been out a long time. He actually also had a knee injury. That was part of it, too. So he's on the ice. He's practicing. Look for him to come back, and he will slot back in on the top six. He's only had the chance to play seven games so far this year. He has a goal and two assists in those seven games. I'm curious to see what he can do over 20 or 30 more.
0: But Brian, I asked you about Pouliot.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, so I guess take my silence on Derek Pouliot as acceptance that he's in there. He's definitely in the conversation. Like, you can add him to your team as someone who's like a top four defenseman for sure, he's seeing like top three minutes amongst Pittsburgh defensemen over the past couple games. He's got a few points in five games played. He's on that top power play unit. He's, he's a good add. Maybe he's like a Klingberg type. You know, there, there's some upside there, but he might not consistently put up points for you. And as Pittsburgh returns to health, I assume he'll be bumped back down the depth chart.
0: Yeah, well, I definitely think that Hornquist will take his spot back on the top power play. It's such a bummer. Hornquist is having such a great year, but these injuries are just marring what could have been you know, a career year for the guy who finally got out of Nashville and onto this high-scoring team. But hopefully, Hornquist will come back soon and get right back to doing what he was doing. The other player who's injured is another guy who's already been injured this year and has had even more of an injury history. I'm starting to wonder about Evander Kane. It's a lower body injury, I think like a foot or something. So I guess not your typical thing, but just, oh my goodness. Brian, I've been seeing a lot of people, including people in our facebook group saying you know that's it i'm not drafting evander kane anymore i'm tired of this guy we also had a question earlier on about why we weren't talking about him as a potential snoozer or like why weren't we you know just questioning him on the podcast because i feel like generally you and i are pretty high on evander kane but if you look at his numbers he has 15 points in 25 games on the season which is very far from elite it's like relevant but nothing too special what do you think before we get into the ramifications for the jets with him being injured until february what do you think about kane in general and his value and how it's changed or not so far this season
1: yeah there's not a whole lot of positives about him lately and I'm open to admitting that he's got 56 points in his last 90 games which like you said it's not super relevant it's still relevant but it's not the player that we thought he could be. On the Jets, he's actually 10th out of 11 forwards who have played at least 200 minutes this year in points for 60 minutes. He's only out of Jim Slater, and he's behind Chris Thorburn and Adam Lowry and Matt Halishuk. We've kind of been really excited about what else has been happening in Winnipeg with Little, lad Wheeler, perot, Scheifele, and Leek have also been very impressive. Kane, well, I guess he hasn't really been called upon, if you could say that. That's not an excuse for him. But maybe that's why we've been able to kind of, well, not hold him too accountable for what's happened to this point. His PDO is about even. His deployments aren't terribly unfair. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Evander Kane. It's worth noting that he's not doing so well. But if he's on your team, I would still strongly recommend against dropping him there's probably not somebody in your free agency pool who can both replace him now and have the upside that Kane still has at least in my mind To score goals the way he's, well, we've known him to score.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's worth mentioning he is still taking a lot of shots, which is one good thing about him. If your league does count shots, he's over three shots a game, 86 shots in 26 games so far this season.
1: Yeah, and his shooting percentage this year is a little bit low. We're used to, you know, we thought he was a 30-goal guy after 2012, 2013. Then he didn't even reach 20, or he would have if he played a whole season, though, last year. And this year, he's on pace for 19 in a full 82-game season. Not so exciting. Sorry if we got you a little hyped up about him. I still believe, though, and I still think his stock was probably low enough after last year that you probably didn't invest a whole lot in getting him. So I'm trying to, to keep my hands clean of this, I, I admit some responsibility, but I still, well, I still think he's going to do okay. And I still hope that you didn't go out on too much of a limb to grab him. He was probably a mid-round draft pick or early to mid-round draft pick this year. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you can buy low. That seems really silly, though. That seems like that'll get me in trouble.
0: No, no Brian, go with your gut. You still think Evander Kane is going to be good and have some value at some point this season, it sounds like. So if that's how you feel, just say it.
1: That's how I want to feel, Ilan. I can't tell you for sure that that is how I feel. These are the complexities of fantasy hockey.
0: And as far as the implications for the rest of the Jets players with Kane injured, there's actually not very much because he's actually been playing lately on the third line. So nothing really changes for the second line of Frolik, Perot and Scheifele or the first line of Little, Lad, and Wheeler you know, those lines will stay the same. I guess someone else is going to jump in on the second power play. But I feel like you stick with what you're doing. Maybe if you picked up Matthew Perot after, you know, hearing Brian gush about him for the last few weeks, keep riding him. Now with Kane injured, he just has more of an opportunity to stay producing where he is. And yeah, I'm not sure there's that much more to say about the implication of Kane's injury on the Jets.
1: Yeah, let me just speak one more second, because I meant to mention it. You just did. Vander line mates for the last 10 games have been Matt Halishuk and Adam Lowry. End of sentence.
0: (laughs) And let's go from some bad news about injuries to maybe some bad news about some player deployments. I want this next headline to be about players who have been bumped down their team's depth charts. And the first one I want to talk about is... Patrick Sharp, who came back from injury to find himself on the third line in Chicago. We actually just got an email from Ellie asking us, you know, what's up with Sharp? Is he no longer valuable or what are they doing with him? So, Brian, what do you think the value of of Patrick Sharp is now that he's playing with Andrew Shaw and Brian Bickle, as opposed to someone who just came back from injury, Brad Richards, who got that plush spot with Patrick Kane and Christopher Stieg?
1: Yeah, we were waiting to see who would drop down the depth chart when Patrick Sharp returned from injury. And the answer is, surprisingly, it's been Patrick Sharp. And that's gotten a lot of people upset. I posted, like, a little clip from an article on tsn.ca by Dave Hodge about why Patrick Sharp deserves thumbs down, because he's not contributing to his team enough, and they're winning without him. And likewise, you have Pooleys flipping out a little bit, because wait, he's a top six player, he's like a superstar, why is he playing on the third line with, well bottom six players. But the thing about Patrick Sharp is it doesn't matter. He's still doing well. He has eight points in 10 games since coming back from injury. He's still putting his regular four or five shots on goal per game. And he's also doing all this alongside the likes of Andrew Shaw and Brian Bickle. Patrick Sharp had 78 points last year. He's a steady 65 or 70 point guy over the course of his career. You don't need him to be on the first two lines to be producing. Of course, that's ideal. And maybe he won't reach 80 playing with the guys I just mentioned. But he's still going to do okay. And we can see he is. So since everybody's down on him, you know what to do now, right?
0: Yeah, try to trade for him if you can.
1: Yeah, definitely. And his shooting percentage is also low. He's shooting just 6%. That's like half of his career number. It's going to go up. So actually, that would raise his point total even more. And point out that his value isn't quite up to what it should be right now. I see him being in the bottom six as an opportunity for you to convince another owner in your league that Patrick Sharp is done.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, of course the problem is he's still putting up points. So the really naive and novice poolies that you're trying to trade with might just look at his points and be like, "Ah, why do I have to worry about Patrick Sharp? He's doing great." But yeah, if there's someone who's reading Dave Hodge's articles, try to trade with that guy. Okay, the other player who's been bumped down, and we've gotten some questions about, is Ryan Callahan. He spent most of the season playing with Steven Stamkos, and that just meant his value was so high. He's been having a career year. He has 30 points in 33 games, which is amazing for a guy who generally was more of a 50, maybe 60-point guy. But yeah, now Callahan doesn't find himself playing with Steven Stamkos. That honor is currently going back to Jonathan Druin. We're not going to talk about Druin today. Callahan's playing with Valteri Filppula and Alex Killorn. So, you know, a pretty significant downgrade. Of course, yesterday he had a goal and an assist against the Leafs. So again, like Patrick Sharp, it seems not to be affecting him. Brian, what's your take on Ryan Callahan? Is he still potentially going to keep up the pace he's been putting up and get like 70 points this season? Or do you think this drop in the depth chart is a sign of Bad things to come for the rest of the season for Ryan Callahan.
1: Well, 13 of his 16 even strength points so far have come alongside Steven Stamko, so you might expect, well, of course, anyone would expect to see a downtick in their production if they're moved away from him. But he's done all right with Phil Pula and Killorn, too, in about actually half as much ice time with Killoran. He's still produced eight points, and actually some of that might also overlap with Stamkos being on with both of them. But I'm not too concerned, except you're counting on Callahan to be like a 70-point guy, and I don't think you can count on that anymore if he's not playing with Stamkos. That's, that's the risk you take when you take a player who's riding shotgun with a superstar. Ryan Callahan did not turn into a superstar overnight. He was just in a really good situation, and we're all very thankful for it. What we still can be thankful for is that, like the Islanders, Tampa kind of runs a top nine. And so everybody's getting offensive opportunity. He still sees his minutes, you know, well, he had 20 minutes last night, almost the same the night before. But before that, he had, you know, 14 minutes and 16 and a half minutes. Something to keep an eye on in terms of ice time. But even alongside Killorn and Phil Pula, I wouldn't expect terrible things to happen. He's not going to come crashing down. He's not suddenly somebody you need to get rid of and drop to free agency. But you might need to adjust your expectations, especially in leagues that don't count his hits. You're going to have to get used to kind of a new normal for Ryan Callahan as long as he's off that line. Keep an eye on the line combos over at dailyfaceoff.com, and that'll give you an idea of how to adjust your expectations over the course of the rest of the season
0: all right so to summarize it looks like sharp and callahan both should be still expected to do well though maybe callahan will have a reduction now that he's off the top line especially let's move on to the next fantasy hockey headline of the week let's talk about the new jersey devils who fired their coach pete DeBoer. he's out the door And I wonder how this affects the Devils overall, because, you know, we've talked about teams like Buffalo and Ottawa and previously Florida, though we've kind of changed that now, as teams that you don't want players on. You don't want to depend on their players, of course, with Ottawa, we're saying except for Eric Carlson. But you know maybe New Jersey enters the conversation because they haven't been scoring many goals lately. They actually did beat Pittsburgh yesterday 3 to 1. If uh, we had recorded this on Sunday like we originally planned, this would have been even more powerful because they were in quite a slump before that. But Brian, I'm interested to get your take on how you value New Jersey Devils players right now. Are they a team that you might want to avoid? You know, they're kind of a mess. They have a new coach coming. Is that good? Is that bad? What's your take? This
1: is a little harder to say because of the win last night against, well, again, a very injured and depleted Pittsburgh team. But I still stand by, they're in trouble. They're a bottom 10 team in possession, which is kind of a new thing for them. They're known as a team that tends to have good possession numbers and bad luck. At least that's the way their season went last year. This year, well, they're not getting the underlying numbers that should reward them with the lucky bounces and whatnot to be a successful team. Owners of Corey Schneider have definitely felt that in his win totals. He's won just 12 of his 34 starts. And what concerns me about this move is that DeBoer was, I think... Doing well given the makeup of his roster. If you look at the team, it's not a very talented team. Like you have Steve Bernier seeing significant minutes and Michael Ryder being leaned on for offense, and Damien Bruner was a part of it for the first 20 games. Although then again, he might have not been being used properly. But what I'm getting at here is that I think DeBoer was probably getting quite a bit out of that roster for what it is. It's really dwindled. New Jersey used to be a team that did it with quietly good guys, but now they have a bunch of older, like, guys who are at the end of their careers, or, you know, middling, unproven, maybe NHL caliber, probably bottom six guys on most teams, and I just don't have a lot of faith that they can turn it around that a new coach is the solution. I think a roster makeover is probably the solution here, and unfortunately, they're not going to get that, and I'm actually getting to become quite worried about Corey Schneider. Elon, you and I were so high on him at the start of the season, and I still am. I still think he's a really talented goalie, but we do know that wins and goals against average are a team stat. He can't control those as much as he can control his save percentage, and for as long as this continues in New Jersey, for as long as they're relying on a 70-year-old Jaromir Jagr, and Marek Zidlichke and Michael Ryder and Patrick Eliach to put up their points. I mean, those aren't terrible players, but that's all they've got. Those are the players they look to to produce, and I don't think that's an ideal situation for any team. So I'm low on the Devils. I'm low on Corey Schneider.
0: And what about Yarmir Yager? He scored a goal yesterday, his first in six games.
1: You know, I made this mistake with Marty St. Louis last year. I said, ah, he's slowing down. It's going to be over. So I'm, I'm afraid of making the same mistake with Yarmir Yager again. There's no way to know. But hey, he's getting older. He doesn't have a whole lot of support. I'm not as excited about him as I was at the beginning of the season. I don't think he's going to get another 67 or 68 points or however he did last year. He has just 21 points in 31 games so far, and I think that's probably like a reasonable pace to expect him to keep up for the rest of the season.
0: Okay, let's keep jumping around. Let's go to the next fantasy hockey headline. There was a trade yesterday. I want to know if this is something I should care about or not. Derek Roy got traded from Nashville. He's going to Edmonton in exchange for Mark Arcobello, who wasn't doing a whole hell of a lot for his owners, if there were any. So, Brian, do you think there's any value that people can get from either of these guys now that they're going to be in new situations?
1: Arcobello, yeah, you don't have to worry about him. He's probably not on your roster now. Remember, he had that like really good run of getting a lot of assists last year. That's about, well, all we know him for, and I think it'll remain that way for the near future. Derek Roy is probably the interesting player here, and how interesting? ah. It's hard to say, like anyone going to Edmonton gets like, okay, actually, I'm not going to go that route. We've beat up on Edmonton a lot. I feel bad. But we'll just suffice to say that Derek Roy slots right into their top six. And there aren't a whole lot of teams in the league where he can do that. The good news for him is that he's going to center decent players. He's going to get David Perron on his wing. Or maybe with enough line shuffling, he might end up with Eberle or Hall at one point. He's certainly not the player he used to be. He was fantastic in Buffalo for years. But then when he moved to St. Louis, uh, things didn't go well. Vancouver, mm, things didn't go so well. This year in Nashville, obviously, things did not go well. Edmonton generally isn't the place where things start to go well. He is doing okay. If you look at his points for And I tweeted this out last night, like over the last couple years, he ranks among some decent company. Johan Franzen, Ryan Callahan, we just talked about, Zach Parise, all have similar numbers. And if you just look at his numbers from this year alone, because I think he probably did better in St. Louis than he did in Nashville so far this year, he's still got a decent rate. Like, he's around Derek Stepan and Michael Raffle and Henrik Sedin and Taylor Hall. Well, Taylor Hall, we know about his struggles, and Michael Raffle isn't anything special. I'm just saying he's in this class where, like, he could he could do something. That's the best I can do for you right now. I think he could do something. Elon, how's he done so far this year in Nashville?
0: Man, he sucked. He has 10 points in 26 games. And you know, this is my thing with points per 60 is the fact that Derek Roy is with those players while getting so few points just goes to show how few minutes he's getting. He was playing less than 10 minutes a game usually when he even got into the roster on Nashville. Of course, things will be different in Edmonton. So I get what you're saying. Maybe he'll get more minutes and maybe he will be able to make something out of this, I would say, maybe last opportunity. I can't imagine if things don't go well in Edmonton that there'll be much more for him to do in his career. So, you know, I feel like if you could get half a point per game out of Derek Roy, that would be pretty amazing. That would be more than I can expect.
1: One other happy bit of collateral in this deal is that now those wingers have an NHL centerman. Not to take away from Arcobello, he probably is an NHL centerman, but they've got an experienced one. Maybe he can help things click a little better in Edmonton than they have with, like, total weakness down the middle. This is just the first step to addressing a big problem in Edmonton. I'm not expecting fireworks. I think Derek Roy is probably a watch list guy at this point.
0: Yeah, well, things can not get much worse in Edmonton, so we'll see if he can help. Definitely, I agree. Someone to watch. But okay, let's move on now to talking about some outjuries. It's late in the show, we haven't even gone to the outjuries yet, but we have a couple of somewhat big names. Scott Hartnell came back from injury, played his first game against Boston, and got two goals. And we had talked about Hartnell as maybe someone who had really regressed recently, but now that he's back, it's led to a bit of interesting line shuffling over in Columbus. It's not really clear to me. If you look at the last game, they sort of were switching it up throughout the game. Hartnell may be playing with Johansson, or maybe Jeremy Morin playing with Johansson, which is the guy they just traded for. So, Brian, what do you think? Is Scott Hardnell more like how he was at the beginning of the year when he was, you know, almost a point-per-game player? Or is he gonna just go back to, you know, not doing that well like he was before his injury?
1: As long as he's getting top-line minutes in Columbus alongside their best players and getting the zone starts that come with it, he's going to be decent. Like, I think his last dry run was too dry. It's not going to be that dry again, hopefully, for the rest of the season. But the main point I always make when we're talking about Scott Hartnell is that he's getting maybe about two, two and a half shots a game right now, which is really different from beginning of the season. And that's actually at the beginning of the season. Those huge shot rates were the reasons that we liked him so much and we liked what he was about to do. He's been about a 50 point guy, maybe 60 points in some years over the course of his career. I'd expect him to slot in somewhere between those two numbers by the end of the season.
0: Okay, and actually, now that we're on Columbus, can we mention Nick Foligno? Because I feel like we talked about him at the beginning of the year when he was doing so well. And, you know, you mentioned him as a sell high. At this point, he's still high, right? He has 31 points in 33 games at this point. Do you still say that Nick Foligno is a sell high if you, you know, still have him? Or do you think at this point, maybe he will be able to keep up this pace? Maybe end the season with 70 points, just like I was asking about Ryan Callahan.
1: Yeah, he deserves a ton of credit. He's kept it up. And that's great. I sold high on him. I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I have to remind myself that I don't regret it. And here's why. It's because he's still shooting at 23%, which is insane. Like, his career shooting percentage is 12.3%. That is half of what he's shooting right now. So technically, that should mean, you know, if all the bounces were going according to what we'd expect from statistics... He'd have like eight or nine fewer points, all goals at this point. His on-ice shooting percentage is still like, well, it's not terrible. Let's just put it that way. It's about or a little higher than it should be. I still think he's a sell-high candidate. I really do. If you want to hang on to him at this point, go ahead. I feel like maybe this is like this year's Alex Steen, who had a really intense shooting percentage with St. Louis at the beginning of last year and carried it through almost to the very end you know, and Felino, if you look at just his Columbus numbers, this isn't really a way to think about it, but his Columbus shooting percentage has been higher than his Ottawa shooting percentage, so maybe he's improved as a player. I haven't watched him closely enough to know if he's taking a lot of shots from a different spot on the ice, or if he's worked on his release, but even if we suppose that that is the case, 23% is still way too high to be shooting. He's going to run dry eventually in terms of goal scoring, and i I don't want to have his value decreasing on my roster while that happens, so while I, maybe I sold high a little early, I still believe it was the right decision. At this point, like, Elon, we were doing an audit the other day, and I kind of said, you know what, Felino? what he's doing is probably not sustainable, but it's up to you. At this point, he's been doing it for 33 games. If you want to keep riding him, by all means, go for it. You've earned the right, he's earned the right, you can all be happy. This is a decision for you to make now. If you want to be there when his luck runs out, because, Elon, I'm sorry, but I I do think it will.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I have to agree. You can't expect him to be a point-per-game player when previously he's never been above 47 points.
1: Just quickly, Elon, I want to also add in Morin, Jeremy Morin, who was traded from Chicago to Columbus in exchange for Tim Erickson. He needed a better situation, and he's getting a shot. He's worth putting on your watch list. He's seeing, like, well, he's balancing between, like, 12, 13, 16 minutes since joining Columbus. Like you said, he's played on the top line as well. He was only seeing 6, 7, or 8 minutes. He's got a decent career background. He should be somebody who can be a producer in the NHL. It's just a matter of when that'll be and if this is the right situation. If he starts producing... I think he's somebody worth cycling into your roster. So keep an eye on him. Make sure his ice time stays high and then slot him in at the appropriate moment if that moment comes.
0: Well, he had a goal in his last game, so we'll see if he could keep it up tomorrow. All right. And for the other outjuries, let's go over to Carolina where finally Jordan Stahl is back from his year-long injury. He had that broken fibula, but he came back yesterday and so did Yuri Tlusty, who had been out for a little while, and Carolina, you know, got beaten pretty badly. They only scored one goal, but hey, it was a power play goal scored by Eric Stahl and assisted by Jordan Stahl and Yuri Tlusty. So, you know, those guys did give some production to their owners who held on to them for their return. I should mention that it's looking like Stahl now might have potentially aggravated the injury I just read something on rotowire so he might not play in Carolina's next game hopefully it's nothing serious but assuming there's no problem with Jordan Stallbry, what do you think his value is for the rest of the season what kind of point pace do you think he could put up he's on the top line playing with Eric Stahl and Nathan Gerby who, by the way, isn't doing that well points-wise, but is taking a lot of shots. So maybe also someone to look at. But Brian, Jordan Stahl.
1: It was P.K. Subban that happened to fall on Stahl's leg last night. And that worries me just in general. Like Jordan Stahl, his leg was the injured part of his body that kept him out all season so far. And you know what? He wasn't anyone who was fancy relevant last year. He had 40 points in 82 games. It was a tough season for him, as it was for the rest of the Hurricanes. But I think... I would project the same thing to happen this year. I don't see like a huge return to what he did in Pittsburgh. I think a lot of that was driven by the situation that he was in, which is not to take away from him as a player, but it's just not as cushy right now in Carolina as it was during his best days in Pittsburgh. He's not somebody I'm interested in having on my team right now, to be honest. But I know you did, Elon, right?
0: Yeah, actually, I drafted Jordan Stahl this season and threw him right into my IR thinking that maybe I would get something out of him when he finally came back. But I actually ended up trading him a couple of weeks ago for Dan Boyle, who was really struggling with the Rangers, and I needed some defense help, so I thought I'd just take a shot on him. And you know what? Boyle has an assist in each of his last three games. He's on a three-game point streak. Two of those points on the power play... I wonder if uh, Dan Boyle is finally starting to heat up and get to where we thought he could be this season after, you know, all the great numbers he used to put up in San Jose.
1: Yeah, we liked Dan Boyle as a guy who could still produce as he got older, even though he was on a new team and it wasn't looking so promising at one point. At this point, though, it is looking a little better, and I still like the trade you made. I'm not saying Jordan Stahl is, like, completely irrelevant, but I'm saying, like, he's above Derek Roy and probably not a whole lot of other people that we've mentioned so far on the show today.
0: But, yeah, we might have to have a similar conversation that we just had about New Jersey, about Carolina soon, because really no one on that team is producing that well lately. Even my man Justin Falk, who I was so high on earlier, he's currently mired in a four-game pointless streak. So hopefully that will end soon for him.
1: Yeah, that's his second longest pointless drought of the season. Hopefully that clears up soon for you and everybody.
0: Also, let's just point out Eric Stahl has 20 points in 31 games. So it might be time to start wondering if he's really... A superstar anymore but okay we'll talk about carolina another day let's move on to our next fantasy hockey headline Semyon varlamov is back in the net for colorado calvin pickard did fantastically while varlamov was injured but he's back down in the minors and word is varlamov is slated to play a whole bunch of games now, basically. Coach Patrick Watt doesn't seem to have much faith in Red Obera and he's going to be riding Varlamov as long as he can. So that puts him in like a Schneider-type situation where he's going to play every game. But the question is, is he going to be able to get wins? He got a shutout in his first game back from injury, but then yesterday let in three goals, not the best game, against the same team, St. Louis. Of course, I feel like with Varlamov, he's probably a pretty solid goalie, and the question is, is his team around him going to be able to give him wins? So, Brian, what's your take on Colorado overall? I know you always talk about how they're such a bad possession team. Has that changed at all lately, or are they still just as bad as ever?
1: A very timely question, Elon, and I'm happy to say that Colorado's possession has changed a little bit for the better. They're still not, like, at all one of the top teams, or even in the top half of teams in terms of possession around the NHL but they do have a 48% number over their last, well, 20 games or so. And that's promising. That means Varlamov is not going to get peppered with shots as he was at the beginning of the year and through most of last year. There has been a little bit of a change in system. It still hasn't been totally effective. We still get questions about what about McKinnon, Landeskog, and Duchesne. And I still think, just stand pat. Like, Colorado is figuring it out. They're at least moving in the right direction, unlike several other teams in the league like Buffalo, Calgary, Toronto, Ottawa. None of them have really done anything to really correct the problems they've seen in terms of possession so far this year. Colorado is moving in the right direction, and that might actually have something to do with the talent on their team. They do have better players than the rest, so maybe it was just a matter of time before everybody, you know, started picking up the slack, saying, okay, we're going to put more shot attempts on goal except their defense is still weak. So I still like their potential for scoring. I still do not love the potential for goaltending. If you look at the worst possession players in the NHL, on defense, you've got all Sabres and a couple Avs. And that's not a good sign.
0: Let me just ask about one Avs player, actually, in particular, Matt Duchesne, who we talked about at the beginning of the year as being one of the new elite players in the NHL. A sure thing for a point per game. Definitely not looking like it this year. He's got 21 points in 36 games now this year. These are Eric Stahl numbers. I feel like we've been mentioning a lot of players who are maybe slumping. But Matt Duchesne, at this point, do you trade for him? He must be a buy low or like even forget about a keeper league this season alone. Do you expect Matt Duchesne to, you know, be a point per game player for the rest of the year? Or do you think he's going to be more like what he's been doing so far?
1: His numbers are also Yager numbers, Elon. So you're right. We're like writing off some guys with these numbers. And so it seems unfair to still promote Matt Duchesne, but that's what I'm going to do. And I mean, he's just on the opposite side of the career arc, right? You've got Stalin Yager going down the hill, proverbially. And you've got... Matt Duchesne, working his way up. It's been a rough year all around in Colorado. There's nothing, like, very alarming about what I'm seeing or very unusual. Like, he looks like a guy who probably deserves about what he's got so far. There's nothing else saying, oh, well, he's seeing a lot of bad luck or things just aren't being fair to him. No, it looks okay. And actually, December has been a tough month for him. Like, he's slowed down both in terms of shot production and point production. So those two are probably related, He needs to keep putting shots on net. He's a guy that should be putting, you know, about three shots on goal per game. Over the course of December, it's been more like two shots on goal per game. But still, over the course of the season, he's got 95 shots on goal in 36 games. That's a good thing. He's going to be okay. In a keeper format, definitely by low. This season, like, I'm starting to wonder how much the rest of the team can recover. But he is a really good, good player. And if you can get him for a player who's not so good, then, of course, do that deal.
0: Well, yeah, easier said than done, though, because how do you know who's not so good? Like, for example, on my team, and I'm currently, like, in first or second in my pool, so, you know, I don't necessarily need to make a move, but, you know, you see a guy like Matt Duchesne slumping, I wonder if I should make a move for him. And, you know, I have a couple of centermen who are maybe overproducing. Tyler Bozak and Mike Ribeiro both have 30 or more points, while, like we said, Duchesne only has 21. Do I trade a Ribeiro or a Bozak for Duchesne at this point, even just forgetting about keeper.
1: I doubt Duchesne's owner would take that deal, to be honest. Like, I feel like Duchesne is still valued above what he's doing. So maybe what I said is a little too optimistic, but say, hey, if you can trade like Yarmer, Yager, or Eric Stahl for Matt Duchesne, that would be weird because they have like the same point totals. And I don't know that there are a lot of like hyper New Jersey Devil or Carolina Hurricane fans in leagues who want to collect all their team's players. But I get what you're saying. You know, I'm probably not about to trade somebody who's closer to a point-per-game pace this year for Matt Duchesne. Especially, like, Elon, you're sitting pretty right now. You can afford to to hang on and let the dust settle.
0: So you say, hold on to Bozak and Ribeiro. Don't go for a Duchesne.
1: No. (laughs) Well...
0: (sighs) It's hard. I'm not giving you easy questions today.
1: You know all the things that concern me about Tyler Bozak. And I do think, like, as the season wears on and the Leafs are having a terrible time right now... They're going to have to start experimenting, and those experiments might include <laughs> removing Tyler Bozak as the team's number one center. Of course, we've been saying this for like three years. It's like, oh, well, when they're desperate and the coach's job is on the line, he's going to change something. But no, Bozak is still playing with Kessel and Van Riemsdyk and producing, okay, I would I would trade Bozak for Duchesne. I would probably still trade Ribeiro for Duchesne, but I can understand... Your reluctance to do so, I think is what I'm trying to say here.
0: And actually, slight correction. They have made one change in Toronto. It's now Kessel with Bozak and Joffrey Lupel. And Van Riemsdijk has been playing with Kadri and Santorelli. So who knows how much more crazy experimenting will happen. But for now, at least, Bozak is still in his plush spot with Phil Kessel. I think we're good for fantasy hockey headlines this week. Before we move on to some players of note, I just want to very quickly thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson who are, you know, giving a small donation every month. We really appreciate it. And we're also having a lot of fun with them. You know, we're still up on that Facebook group all throughout the holidays. There wasn't any hockey, but there was lots to talk about in the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group. So if you want to get in on that, you too can become a patron. Check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And I would definitely be remiss if I didn't thank the newest patrons of Keeping Carlson, Chris in Vancouver, Owen, Kylie, and Jeff. Thank you so much for signing up. We definitely appreciate your patronage.
1: Usually patrons get a lot more of our thoughts over the course of the week. And like we said earlier, we had a chat about quality starts in our last patron cast. And actually, if you want to get in in time for the next patron cast, now's probably the time. It's going to be within the next, well, week or two. So the sooner you join in, the more certain your chances of being able to join us for it will be. And we'd love to have you there also.
0: Okay, but Brian, I see you have quite a few players that you still wanted to talk about this week, so let's just get right into it. We already talked about Patrick Sharp, but I see you have one of his teammates on Chicago that you wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, when I asked the question earlier in the show about who's going to drop down the depth chart because of Sharp's return, I think one of the biggest question marks was Chris versus We weren't sure where he was going to settle in the lineup, which is important because he's grabbed more than two-thirds of his points at even strength this season, well, on a line with Patrick Kane. But Versteeg is still sitting pretty with Kane and continuing to produce, although his pace has slowed over the last 11 games. He has just a goal and four assists in that span, which is a big drop from when he was grabbing well over a point per game over a very productive 15-game or so stretch. So watch for his production to level off a bit, and he's actually a decent candidate to sell high. I would trade him for Matt Duchesne.
0: Okay, noted.
1: And next, let's talk about a player who actually left the Blackhawks before the season began. He went over to the Islanders where he was much more sorely needed there than he was in Chicago, and he's getting an opportunity. I'm talking about, of course, Nick Letty. He has emerged on the Isles Blue Line as probably their best offensive tool. Johnny Boychuk, there's probably an argument to be made for him, but I think when all is said and done, Letty's the guy. He's on about a half a point per game pace. He quarterbacks a very, very strong first power play unit. He doesn't do a whole lot for you in terms of peripherals, though. But even so, we've talked about the Isles Blue Line a lot this year. It seems like there was a, a large in-transition period with Boychuk and Visnovsky But I think Letty is the guy that you should be looking at if you want the most offensively promising defenseman on the New York
0: Islanders. Okay, Brian, I actually want to jump in with a player of note right now. Is that okay? Of course, please. Okay, how about I throw the name Colin Wilson out there? Because this guy is on fire right now. You might not even know. He's a player on Nashville. He's on the second line, currently playing with James Neal. Who, yeah, was bumped off the top line currently. Craig Smith is up there. But Colin Wilson, he's got four goals and three assists in his last four games. I had to check to make sure I had those numbers right. But they are correct. And even more crazy, he's got 20 points now in 33 games on the year. So he's much higher than that you know, half point per game, relevancy threshold. He's, you know, putting up Matt Duchesne numbers, it's sad to say. But Colin Wilson, so obviously most of these points are from this recent streak. And I think as long as he's in the top six over in Nashville, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be able to keep it up. He's not on the top power play. He's on the second power play. But if you look at Daily Faceoff, both power plays... Look about even. You know, the top ones got Philip Forsberg and James Neal and Mike Fisher. And then, you know, those great defensemen Weber and Yosie. But the second unit has Wilson and Ribeiro and Craig Smith, who, you know, while I'm mentioning it, Craig Smith himself is doing really well lately. He's got four goals and an assist in his last five games. Brian, those are my players of note from Nashville. Also, Mike Fisher's doing well. Th- this team is really good, Nashville.
1: It's a really good team. If you look at them, you're going to see that, like, practically... Everybody on the team, except for Taylor Beck, Ole Jokinen, and Gabriel Bork, have a PDO above 100, which means that what they're doing isn't sustainable. But the other side of that is that a lot of it is because of Pekarine's goaltending. They all have excellent on-ice save percentages at even strength. Their shooting percentage as well, again, as we've been mentioning all season, it's really Forsberg, Ribeiro, Neal, who are the top three, and probably a little higher than they should be. But Colin Wilson is next, and then Craig Smith, and uh, is that a good thing? Yes and no. It means that they are seeing success while they're on the ice, but it's probably, for guys like Colin Wilson and Craig Smith, maybe a point higher than it's supposed to be. But, Elon, I love your choice of Colin Wilson. You should do this more often.
0: Okay, and so here's the big question. Would you pick Colin Wilson up? He's available on my team, and he's available in our joint league. So, what do you think about this guy? Obviously, he's not going to keep up a seven points in four games pace, But where do you think he lands at the end of the year? He's currently got 20 points in 33 games. Where do you think he's going to be after 82 games?
1: In not a lot of time with James Neal and Mike Fisher, he's put up, well, like you said, good even strength points numbers. And you can see, like, it's a little disproportionate. If you look, like, he has 10 even strength points alongside Craig Smith in about 170 minutes, which is three times... The amount of minutes, but only double the amount of points that he's gotten alongside James Neal and Mike Fisher. So that line is working out, and like my answer about whether I like him or not kind of depends on line combinations, which are really hard to predict. We don't know what's going to happen over the rest of the season. As long as this line sticks, I I like him. In the short term, like, I would even put him around, say, like, Matthew Perot or Mark Scheifele ad. As somebody you can throw on your team, see how long
0: it lasts. Yeah, right now I have him flagged. Evander Kane, who we have, you know, is injured. Hopefully he goes on the IR. I'm hoping even today so we could grab Colin Wilson before it's too late. But okay, do you have one last player of note you want to mention?
1: Yeah, let's just head back to Carolina once more this show. Let's take a look inside their crease where we've all been very wrong about how things would shake out to this point of the year. And it's time that we did a little bit of an about face because Cam Ward is the man in control right now. He's started 25 of the team's 36 games to date. And he's bested Kudobin in virtually every stat category. Although when I say he's in control of the starting job, that is a relative term in Carolina. His 9-12 save percentage is 10 points up on Kudobin, but it's still bad enough to land him in the bottom third of the league overall. And of 24 goalies who have played in about two-thirds of their team's game so far, Ward sits 21st in even strength save percentage. So, as we could have predicted at the outset, it's bad news for you to own a Carolina goalie either way, but we all figured it would be worse to own Ward. That's not really the case now, and there's pretty much no sunshine in Kudobin's numbers. He's got just one win in 11 tries, and is down with fast Varlamov, Scribbins, and Emery this year in terms of his even strength save percentage. But in that same category over the last two years, he still remains just outside the top 10. It's been a short career, but maybe he's a guy right now you can pick up for pennies on the dollar and stash away in your keeper league just in case that he can turn things around.
0: All right, and let's end the show with this week's snoozer of the week. And we're going to go to Florida, who we generally have been going to to talk about people who we're really impressed with. But one guy who's had a huge decrease in production this year is Brian Campbell. He was, you know, their number one defenseman for a number of years and someone you could pretty solidly rely on to give you half a point per game, which is great for a D-man. This year so far, he only has one goal and eight assists for nine points in 33 games, so a huge drop-off. I get the feeling that the emergence of Aaron Ekblad has taken away from Campbell's importance on the team, so if you have Brian Campbell still, you might want to start looking to see what your other options are.
1: Yeah, his minutes are still good, and he's still seeing a lot of offensive zone starts, but the numbers just haven't been there. And if you were waiting for something to happen while players like Aaron Ekblad got picked up in your league... You're kind of out of luck. I think he has seen his share of bad luck this season, and he's not like a a, a one-third of a point-per-game kind of player. He had 37 points last season. I don't know. I think it would be hopeful to think that he gets as many. Like, he's got 50 games left. He's going to need 27 games. That's over a half point-per-game pace in that span. I don't think he's going to do that. You can hope for him to land around 30 by the end of the season. If you've invested this much in him so far, and there's nobody else to replace him, then just, I guess you can hang on. But really, yeah, he's a snoozer, and assuming that there is a decent option to replace him, you can probably feel safe dropping him for the time being. That hurts to say. He's been so good for so long, and I- I'm not convinced he's done, just for now, snoozer.
0: This has been the episode of our, kind of the snoozer episode, right? With Jager and, you know, Eric Stahl and now Brian Campbell. It's a shame. Some of our favorite players from the last few years might just be coming to the ends of their productive parts of their career, but... Okay, sorry to end on a down note, but we gotta get going. Brian, this has been another really fun episode. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. We hope you had a great holiday. If you celebrate Christmas, hopefully you got lots of great gifts. And you know, maybe now that you've gotten so many great gifts, you could give a gift. You could go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. We really appreciate that. That helps give exposure to our meager, humble show. Of course, you could also check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you want to get really involved. But that's it for me today. There's like a dump truck outside right now, so I think that's a great time for me to ask Brian to go ahead and read us the credits.
1: Okay, this show was presented by Daily Faceoff and was researched with help from Natural Stat Trick, hockeystats.ca, RotoWorld. Hockey Reference, that's where you can find Quality Starts, Behind the Net, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey.
0: So Brian, I guess it's going to be a short turnaround because we're going to be back next Sunday with another episode. And Brian, what should people do until then?
1: Ah, uh, You know, I think that maybe they should keep on keeping Carl